ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Teams. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. Hi, Jimmy. How are you? Doing good. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on ATV Talk and... I really appreciate you taking the time with us. I, I know that you're a busy guy and, and probably like everybody else have too many irons in the fire to handle them all. Well, I wouldn't say that. It's, uh, it's busy times though, that's for sure. It's crazy how this pandemic has um, upped our sales for ATV, UTV and dirt bike tires. It's just craziness. Yeah, I know that at Duncan Racing, we are uh, we're busier than we can handle. It's incredibly right. busy. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, the the numbers are nuts right now, and and I hope it's not the bubble doesn't burst once things kind of get back to normal. I hope it's uh, because I'd see new bike sales, new ATV, new UTV. UTV's been up for a long time. It's been the only category that's been up but for the atv and and dirt bikes i mean it's encouraging that that's up again well i think it's that that's the positive is that that people know that the industry's there and that they're able to still do it and maybe this is what ignited the fire to get us going again in the right direction right right get to get the parents out there riding with their kids and going camping instead of sports and everything else i know it's changed it's changed my kids and my grandkids' life, that's for sure, way more than it has mine. Yeah, I mean, I, I just still work and still build, so not much has really changed for me. You know, instead of working six and a half days a week, I work full seven days a week now. <laughs> yeah. But what we what, what I wanted to talk to you about is is I want to reach back into your memories and and how did this all start for you? Oof. How it all started, boy, that's a long time ago. Um, growing up in Iowa, uh, in the winter, there wasn't much to do. Dirt bikes were no fun in the winter. Um, so we always had three-wheelers. We all started, me and my buddies had ATC 90s, and we'd go play in the woods. We'd go play in the snow. We'd take them to the races as our pit bike, uh, two-wheel motocross races, and um just ended up being a ton of fun and there was really no racing per se back there uh, for three-wheelers um, not at the motocross tracks anyway but then a couple promoters started putting on some flat track races about the time the 250r came out and got one of those and something to do in the winter that's what it came down to is just dirt bikes was my life uh, so i thought and that's what i spent most of my time doing and working um but i tried the dirt bike nationals and wasn't sick i was a donator not a uh didn't make any money at it <laughs> went to quite a few of the nationals and and it um was a lot of fun but the three-wheeler thing just kind of came about unexpectedly i mean locally we did the um 
flat track races in the winter, um, which ended up, my dad ended up promoting. Uh, he was like the third promoter that took over that. And then uh, they had a big, at the Knoxville Sprint Car Track in Knoxville, Iowa, they had a big national, what they called a national, one-off national, that Team Honda showed up. Um, man, I'm really stretching on this. I think it was in 81, in the summer of 81. And Sundal and Wax were there from Honda. And I ended up, I think, getting third. Don't hold me to it. But I did well and stayed with them and played with them. And I was on a virtually a 250R with a pipe and long, long more tires. And that was about it. Nothing else. And <laughs> I went out and had a ton of fun because it was a TT, rough hair scrambles type race. And we just uh, kind of got the bug. And then the next year, um, did a couple other races, went to Supercross at Houston Astrodome, Pontiac Silverdome. Um, tried to race two-wheelers, but ended up racing my three-wheeler. And it was an intermission deal. Team Honda was there again. And I forget who was at the Astrodome, but at the uh, Silverdome, I think it was Mike Coe's. Mike and I talked about this a couple times. I think that was his trial run for Honda. And again, ran right up there with the team Honda guys and either got second, third, something like that. And that was in the winter, I think, of 82. And that's when we decided, Ron and I decided with my dad, decided, hey, let's go out to California and try some of the Baja crosses and stuff. And that's where it led. How did you go from riding a Honda to a to a Kawasaki? Well, the Honda was the only thing available at that time. Um, had a little bit of support through a Honda dealer in Des Moines, um, and the service manager was one of my best friends, Mike Logan, and he helped, helped me a ton. John Kite helped me a ton from Missile Engineering, uh, which ended up making swing arms and frames. He makes flat track frames for motorcycles. Um, and that was all on the Honda. And then uh, Wes McCoy and I never got along, per se. Uh, we had our battles off the track. Um, battling on the track was easy, but battling off the track when you have a dominant force like Honda or Wes McCoy that was doing everything in his power for his guys to win, which that's what he was hired to do. Uh, it just kind of made it tough. And then, um, so Wes and I never seen eye to eye and we ended up, um, running the Honda and then Kawasaki James, the game started coming around from Kawasaki and talking to me and Chris white about their new three wheeler that was coming out. And I told him I'd like to write it before I do anything with them. And we went to Saddleback. Uh, Chris and I both got to go to Saddleback and ride the pre-production bikes. And that was, uh, would have been an 83, probably about March of 83. And we were already in the midst of Mickey Thompson's racing the Hondas, you know, and then, you know, Daryl Sonny was doing the motors and was a more than just a motor builder. He was a mentor. Um, also on top of that still is. And when the Cowie thing came about, I mean, it's just, it was, they came in with open arms and we had to give it a shot and thing worked out good. That's well, yeah. How, how long did, how long were you with them? 
So June of 83 was our first race, um, Santa Cruz. And the last year that I had a factory contract was in 86. And then in 87, when they dumped the three-wheelers, came out with the four-wheelers, they didn't have their four-wheeler ready. So went out and bought a Suzuki and then ended up um, getting a little bit of support through Clem Research, through uh, Billy Keith, who owned Clem Research at the time, um, who was one of my ex-mechanics at Cowie and good friend. And we just, uh, so we ended up, started the season on the Suzuki and was actually leading the Mickey Thompson series. I mean, that was my main focus throughout most of my career anyway. Yeah, I'd go to the Nationals and and loved them and loved the variety of them, but the Mickey Thompson is what I like, and it's definitely what uh, Kawasaki liked because of the exposure. And we just, um, the Suzuki was more favorable to me, and when I switched over to the Cowie, like I said, I was in the points lead in 87 on the four-wheeler on the Suzuki and then switched to the Cowie. That thing and I never got along. It was too small of a quad. And, you know, back then, shit, you, you couldn't just overnight build A-arms and build everything. You, you had to modify what you had. And it was basically some suspension and a motor and go at it. And the Cowie was just too small for me. And it just kind of ended at that point. I ended the year with a support ride with Cowie, but had no interest in going any further after that. And there was no money involved then. Right, it's tough. dude. It's tough to go from making a good living at racing to going buying a quad and then paying to go to the races. I mean, it was just kind of took the fun out of it. I mean, I wasn't in it just for the money, but it sure did make things nice when you were making a good living at it. <laughs> so, so you have a lot of admiration for the guys that are that are footing the bill today to go do it. Oh, yeah. I, well, admiration, I guess that'd be a good word. Sometimes I don't understand it, but, um, you know, it all starts that way. That's the whole thing. It all starts that way because it's your passion and everybody wants to get in and try to do the best you can. And, and then you get hooked on it. But the kids that are still trying to get that, yes, I have admiration for it. Um, the, the guys that are struggling to make ends meet without some kind of sponsor to do it. Um, yeah, it's just, sometimes it's, uh, time to grow up and go get a job. And that's where I was at. I, I, I don't hold against what anybody else is doing, but for me, it was, I just had my first child, Ron and I just had our first child and, and I was just, I was over it. I was tired of spending my own money to go racing at that point. Well, that's that's definitely one way to look at it. I've I've spent a lot of my own money to go, you know, to go wrench on something for someone else. Right, right. You know, because I loved it, and yeah. it got yeah. to the point where yeah, just not going to happen anymore. <laughs> You're still going to the work races, though, aren't you? Uh, this year was my first year in 30 years that I haven't traveled. Really? Yeah. Really. And, but you guys still have a lot of support riders out there. Uh, I still have a lot of support riders out. Um, and I was, I had a guy that I was going to go. I still have his machines in my, my, my workshop here at home. And he uh, got injured and couldn't ride anyways this year. So right. it, it worked out that he's on rehab when there are no, is no racing. So. Right. Right. 
we'll see how he rehabs um, and whether he comes back next year or the beginning or the middle or whatever. And, you know, he'll have a brand new bike ready to go when it's time. There you go. I stripped it to the bare frame. Our last race was the weekend before Thanksgiving last year. And Thanksgiving, Thursday, Friday, I was in the shop stripping his bike to the frame. <laughs> and that Saturday, his dad called me and told me that he got hurt. Oh, boy. So I had a frame. <laughs> I was looking at a frame going, oh, boy. <laughs> this isn't exactly where I want to be. Right, right. <laughs> you know that it had to be freshened and and gotten ready for the for the whatever you know whether it sits or whether it gets sold or whether he races it you got right. to finish it right. so you know, the other thing about racing is just not it's just not the racing part of it it's all the camaraderie too of just uh, the people you meet going down you know through the path of racing and and that you know your sponsors working with your sponsors and that's that's how i ended up getting in this industry is because of one of my sponsors um armstrong tires back in the day that built the turf tamer they were one of my better sponsors all throughout my career and they ended up hiring me as soon as i was done racing for sales and development and that's how i got the bug in this tire industry and i've been in this tire industry now since 1987 so it's been a long damn time. And it's been been fruitful too. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, it's been a good living. Good living. That's awesome. I, you know, when you when you think back into the racing and you and you talk about some of the guys that you raced with, where was your uh, where was your line with people that you just had 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 that moment with? You know. Well. You know, you know a lot of the stories, but um, I, I don't, you know, I look at these kids these days and, you know, I ran the Cowie ATV team for three and a half years and all these competitors were buddies. I, I never understood that. I couldn't be buddies with somebody that I was going to go out there and battle with like these guys are. And I see the motocross guys, supercross guys, the same way. They're all buddies. And I don't, I don't get that part. Um, so to, to say the least, the guys that were capable of beating me, which at, at any time there was three or four, I was never buddies with those guys. I, they were my enemies, period. Um, you know, when I was the underdog, when I was first coming up, of course I looked up to Sundahl. Who the hell didn't look up to Sundahl and Wax at that point? Um, but then, you know, Marty comes about, Stevie comes about, um, Mike Coe comes about, and those guys were my enemies. Mike Coe and I are good buddies now, but when we raced, there was no way. I mean, we we just didn't have that. Uh, if they were going to beat me, I was. If they had a chance to beat me, I was not being friends with them. Whereas, like you know, Donnie Luce, Steve Mendenhall, who also had a chance of beating me here and there, running with me anyway. Um, it was tough being friends with him, but at least he was on the right color machine in my mind. So it was a little bit easier. And you know, we had we didn't have any team orders and. And at the end of the day, I was the only what you would call a factory rider. The rest of those guys were support riders, but they were all still good buddies at that point on the Cowies. Um, until you get to the Honda guys, you know, and it was it, Marty and I, I think, took it up to the next level. And we both had our times, if you will, um, on and off the racetrack. But 
you know, I've seen Marty here and there and we say hello and it's friendly now, but uh, back then I just wanted to kick his ass. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I get it. I get it. You have, you have fierce rivalries and that's some of the reason why it motivates you to push a little harder when you're tired, when it's, when it's training time, you know? So right. you were talking about motorcycles. Did you do much cross training when you were racing the three wheeler full time? Um, you know, it wasn't really even thought about back then. Yes. I, I would run every day. I'd go to the gym and do weights and stuff, but you know, it's so scientific now. I mean, the, the shit we did back then was archaic compared to what they're doing now. I work out harder now than I did back then. Um, you know, it was mainly about riding. Uh, I would, we would go out to Corona and ride during the week, go up to Indian Dunes and ride during the week. But as far as the training part, other than going to the gym two or three days a week, um, which I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was just going to the gym, lifting weights. I mean, now you would know what the hell you'd have somebody telling you what you're doing right and wrong and what you should be doing to improve your sport. But shit, back then you had no idea. And there was nobody at Kawasaki that was given any insight to that at that point. Them guys are a bunch of kooks down there. Like most of our industry, they're all, all a bunch of bicycle nuts. And <laughs> dude, I don't ride bicycles unless they have motors. I don't ride anything unless they have motors. So I never understood that part. And to do that, it'd take way too long for the training. Whereas I could go out on, you know, go run for two or three miles and get I felt just as much out of riding bicycles. I tried that whole bicycle thing with James DeGain because um, he was a big bicycle nut and it just made no sense to me. <laughs> I've done a little bit of mountain biking and I, I kind of enjoy it. You know, all the, the bigger scars I have are from, from downhills. Right. Right. I'm yeah, not mountain bike stuff. I, I kind of get, as long as it's going down, coming up, uh, that, that shit's just too hard. This new e-bike thing, I'd like to try one of those, but shit, there's as much as a motorcycle. More in some cases. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so did you, did, did you preferred the motorcycle until you got the, the factory gig with the three-wheeler? Um, I enjoyed them both. Uh, the three-wheeler was more, um, definitely more challenging. Um, the, the motorcycle is just what I grew up knowing. My dad raced, so I raced. Um, that's all I knew. Uh, I can't say as I enjoyed one more than the other. I enjoyed the three-wheeling because I was actually making money instead of spending money at, at most of the career. So, the, but I'm back on dirt bikes. Uh, I tried riding my three-wheeler shit at Glamis Five years ago, I think it was, we went out. Um, I just rebuilt it. It had gotten stolen from a buddy's garage. And the uh, thing ended up in the back of a stolen pickup like two or three years later. And the sheriff's department calls me, and I'd already written it off. I thought it was gone. It was my last factory three-wheeler, and Cowie gave it to me when we were done. And it just sat in my garage, and somebody stole it out of my buddy's garage. So anyway, it's in the stolen truck, and... So I go to pick it up at the tow yard and they said, well, you've got to pay for the tow. And I said, it's in the back of a stolen damn truck. Why do I have to pay for the tow? You didn't tow it. Somebody's got to pay for it because they ain't getting nothing out of the pickup. So ended up getting the three wheeler back, stripped it down with a lot of help from uh, Ron at PEP and some other buddies that did the motor work. Um, 
we rebuilt the whole thing. And it was just sitting and I'm like, I'm going to take it to Glamis because I've still got some of my goofy friends that ride them things out there. Ronnie Henson, uh, his boys now ride three wheelers out there. Um, so I, I gave it a shot and I went out. I, don't know, I didn't make it two miles and that damn thing threw me off, hurt my shoulder. And I don't crash that often. And it pissed me off. So I took it back. And even Donnie Luce rode it that day and his son uh, rode it that day. And I got back home and I'm like, I'm still sore. I'm like, shit, I'm putting it on eBay and sold it. <laughs> I hope you got some good money out of it. Well, I think I got good money, but now you look, I mean, this is five years ago. Now you look at what this shit's bringing and it's insane. I mean, I could have probably doubled my money, but you know what? It's at a collector's, I think in Pennsylvania, uh, Mickey Dunlop knows the guy because it sold, I think once or twice since I sold it to the original guy in New Jersey. Um, yeah. I wish I wouldn't have sold it, but it would have just been collecting dust because I wasn't going to ride the damn thing anymore. Well, that's all part of it, you know. That really is. Right. Yeah, you got to ride it. You got to stay on it if you're going to ride it all the time. When you quit in 87, did you ever go back and race again anything? Two-wheelers. I'm still racing a two-wheeler here and there. Um, just uh, flat track racing now. No, I. as far as um, – so getting back to you asking me what I did to try to stay in shape and everything else, if I did any cross-training or any of that – a lot of my training too was because you could go find a uh, Grand Prix, 45 minute Grand Prix in Southern California every weekend. If I wasn't racing my three wheeler, I would go race my three wheeler and my two wheeler at a 45 minute Grand Prix and get a couple races in. That way, you just keeping on the bike and keeping on the three wheeler. Um, since I quit racing in '87, you know, at that point, I didn't really do much riding for a while because we had two kids and they got into sports and I coached and I traveled and I still, well, until this pandemic, still travel a ton um, between the U.S. and overseas. So it just kind of slowed me down. But now that my kids are older, I, I go, I ride all the time and race flat track just here in, in Arizona. You like flat track? Yeah, I love it. I love it I, because I, it's... I, Short track. I only race short track. I don't get on the half miles or any of that bullshit because that's where you get hurt bad. Um, I've only been down a couple times, knock on wood, but you know, you're not going very fast. It's just, it's the sliding and the just getting out there and, and just pushing the limit. It's fun. It's fun. I love, I love, my dad got me into it and I did it back in the, uh, in the eighties. Right. Uh, at Corona. Oh, really? Yep. And they had a, uh, they had an oval and a TT. Right. And they had a, wasn't quite a half mile, but they had the big, they had the big oval. Yeah. Like a three eighths mile. Yep. And, and I did it there. And then when they had competition park and they had that little oval there, I did it there. Yeah. And then I got into riding and testing the Raptors. The, the Raptor had just come out mm -hmm. from Yamaha and, and Lauren needed somebody to go start testing it. And I was free. So I, uh, I started testing it and started racing it and got away from the flat track. And then the tracks all kind of closed up and, um, I have some TT 500 sitting in the garage, ready to go. Oh, really? Yeah. What got me interested in is a buddy of mine here in Arizona that moved from Iowa. Um, he ended up, uh, going out and racing a couple of different flat tracks on his dirt bike. So I took my dirt bike out there and just fell in love with it. And then the next year, 
did, I don't know, five or six races that year on my dirt bike in the Nobby class. They have Nobby class, which tears the shit out of the track. I don't know why they have it or whatever. And then um, the next year I set it all up and had uh, Ron at PEP do the suspension, lowered it down and did the tires and wheels, did the whole thing. Man, it is just the most fun. I mean, you just, you sit there and smile the whole time. It's just cool sliding in and out of corners like that. I freaking totally get it, man. Yeah. I totally get it. I, I I would rather do that sometimes than anything else. Right. Right. Yep. So that's, you know, that's the extent of my racing right now. Other than when I get my side by side, I think I'm a racer and, and going to hurt myself. I hope not. But, uh, <laughs> Steve Mendenhall came out, um, in, for Supercross in January and he jumped in. I had, I have a side-by-side, Rhonda has a side-by-side, and Steve jumped in my Yamaha, and Rhonda's Yamaha, and I, or no, my Yamaha at that point, and he jumped in uh, my Kawasaki, or I jumped in my Kawasaki, and we had the most fun. We went, I don't know, like 110 miles that day of uh, two track, just pushing each other, and had an absolute blast. That, That fire never goes away, does it? Um, a lot of it doesn't, but as far as going out and getting air in a, on a three wheeler, four wheeler or dirt bike, I don't get no damn air unless it's by mistake now. <laughs> <laughs> well, your joints hurt a little more. I don't, yeah. I never did like to jump. So yeah, uh, I get it. Yeah. When you, uh, when you were racing the three wheelers and it was competitive with the Honda guys, Biggest memory as far as a, a an accomplishment? Oh, man. Biggest? Shit, there's just too many. Um, because it was like, I felt like it was me against the world most of the time because there were so many of them bastards. And, you know, <laughs> they they would always get to go in and practice beforehand, before the races, a day or a week ahead. And um, yeah, there's just too many. There's There's a ton of them. I mean, anytime I beat... First time I beat Dean was probably my favorite, which I I think it was at Baja Cross. I, I think, I mean, straight up beat him. I beat him um, at Mickey Thompson's a couple times, but, you know, Mickey Thompson's was a crapshoot most of the time when they did the different ways they started. But um, for sure, the first time I beat Dean straight up at Baja Cross and then, shit, any time I beat Marty, I mean, it just got so competitive between the two of us and, and Mike, as far as that goes, co too. I mean, the three of us were just battling for what eighty five, eighty six. You know, it was good battling. But I don't know. Raleigh, North Carolina, comes to mind. Um, shit, that <laughs> in Raleigh, Mendenhall d- designed the track in eighty six. He designed the track, and it was supposed to be a TT track, but it was a Supercross track. There was an honest to god. 70 foot triple down the straightaway. It was built on a half mile track. And some of it was on the infield was TT. And then he built this nasty ass triple right off the start on the front straightaway. And all day long during practice, during my heat race, which I, my, for some reason, my heat race wasn't stacked at all. And so I was only doing the double, I wasn't doing the triple. And I can still remember it now as sitting on the line and and my dad comes up behind me and taps me on the shoulder and he goes, you know, you get a good start and you don't triple that. Cause there was only four or five guys tripling it. Like Marty, Mike, uh, no, I don't even know if Mike was there. 
Marty uh, Sundahl, or, uh, Sundahl, uh, Mendenhall, and a few other were tripling it. And my dad says, hey, if you get a good start, you know, you're going to have to triple that or else you're going to get landed on. I'm like, yeah. You know, and I just kind of shrugged my shoulders. And I, I think in the back of my mind, what I can remember is I was kind of hoping I didn't get a good start because I really didn't want to triple it. And I wanted to see what I could do working my way through the pack if I had to. But sure shit, I get the whole shot and hit the first one and every lap afterwards and hit the triple and never thought twice about it. Because, I mean, I wasn't big into the big, big ass air, especially on a three-wheeler. I mean, one, one guy during the, damn, the day, he came up short on the double and his three-wheeler went over the catch fence on the, uh, the half-mile track into the stands. But luckily there was nobody. It was right at the beginning. He was okay, but it was like... I don't need that shit, you know, and I watched that and it was like, so that was probably a big one because I ended up, Marty didn't get the best start and we had a good battle all the way to the end. I, I was speaking with Marty not too long ago and, and his big memory with you was that you guys touched wheels over a jump and, and I don't remember which, all the specifics of Columbus, it. Ohio. Yeah, and, and you know what? It, Marty never is one to apologize very much. And you know what? He still think he still thinks about that moment. So, so he, he admitted to you it was his fault. Uh, he doesn't necessarily say it was his <laughs> fault. But he goes, he goes, I can't tell you it wasn't my fault either. Right. right. You know, no, I can tell you it was his damn fault. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt about it. No, no he, doubt felt, about he it. felt bad about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it hurt. I, it hurt. That ended me for about a month and a half. I broke my tailbone on that one. Yeah, he he did mention that you had gotten hurt there. And, yeah, yeah. No, that was a nasty one. I mean, there wasn't very many times by '86. I would say Marty was more dominant, unless I felt good at the racetrack. Um, he was definitely a little more dominant, and that race for some reason it was still shitty track as usual. Um, but it was a TT track and I got a bad start and was working my way through and Marty was leading and I could see him and caught up to him and sure shit, when I'm getting ready to go past him, he came over and we tapped tires and, and the picture has been out there a thousand times, but uh, yeah, I mean, shit happens. Uh, it didn't do either one of you any good. No, God, no, no. I crashed nope. on crashing on a three wheeler never did me a good day. No. <laughs> you know, one of my one of my nastiest crashes because um, I never believe this shit or not I've never had to have a cast my entire life I've never broke a bone that I need a cast I broke broke my tailbone broke my hand broke my um, broke some ribs broke my foot but never needed a cast on anything but my I can't say it was my nastiest crash but probably my what I remember the most was at Baja Cross and broken axle and it sent me out it, it, did you you went to baja cross didn't you no no they had tractor tires around the whole edge of the track it was by far and mike co and i have talked about this many times by far the best racetrack for three wheelers ever made um but they had big tractor tires around the outside and i broke an axle and went right into one of the tractor tires I don't remember hitting it. It knocked me out. And I just remember when I woke up, uh, Wes McCoy's looking over me. He must have been at that end of the track. 
And I'm thinking, I must be in hell if this fucker is looking at me. <laughs> wow. You know, he was he was very he was very good, tried to help me and tried to help me get back to the pits because it it knocked me out pretty good, but it didn't didn't hurt me, it just knocked me out. Hey, in all the years of all the things that I've ever done, I never wanted my fiercest competitor injured in any way. No, no, no absolutely not. I, I remember a couple of times donating my services to my enemies, yep. even though I would not, I would never admit it openly and never have done it in, in an open crowd, but you know, they needed parts, they needed a little assistance and right. you know, you lend a hand, a screwdriver or whatever you, you, you know, Hey, that's not, how, that's not how I do it. Let, let me show you. Right. And, and get them yep. back on the track, you know, a couple of times yep. bit me, you know, or they yeah. came back and beat us. Right. Right. No, for sure. For sure. No, we, I've always been that same person. I mean, it's just, uh, it's karma. It's karma. Yeah. And the older you get in the industry, like I know that I've been then traveling the, the, the road a little longer than you have, but the longer you travel the road, the more you feel for those guys and you want yep. to reach out and you want to be a part of it and you want to help them. Right. And you just want everybody to ride. I just, I don't care who it is. I, yep. I know that I've stayed up late and I don't even know who this kid is and he's got a broken bike and there's more things broke on it than I can fix, but I got it running and got him on the starting line and he got to finish his moto. And you know, that, that smile and that thank you at the end of the race was worth every penny. I mean, well, there was many times because we always had in my box and we always had two three wheelers set up the same way. And there is a few times that we had to end up loaning three-wheeler to competitor, you know, being Sean Finley or Steve Mininall or whoever the hell it was, loaning them mine and just changing the numbers out because something happened to their bike. And it was, it was it never even thought twice about it, not once. And that's, that's I think that's what makes us different than, than some sports is because we can it, – it still carries over today. Maybe right. not as much in the motocross nationals for the quads. I don't know. I don't get to, I don't get to travel back there as much, but I know it works. You know, right. if I have it and it's in my trailer. Yeah. There you go. You know, bring it. Well, back. that was, that was honestly, that was one of the, my favorite things when we, um, being on a Kawasaki because they had that team green mentality, even though I had my own box van with my own mechanic, there was always, my mechanic was busy helping other not just Kawasaki riders helping other riders all the time. That was what was cool about the Kawasaki family. Whereas you look over at the Honda pits when I was racing and it was closed off and, you know, McCoy was like a freaking sergeant and wouldn't let nobody shit. He, he told most of his riders not to even talk to me half the time. And, you know, and I'm, I'm buddies with Curtis. Curtis and I are still really good friends and Mike Coe and, you know, Mickey and, um, so it was just different times back then, but one of my favorite, and it's still, I think the ATV nationals are still that way is when I was running the Cowie race team in 2007, eight, nine, 10, I think it was, um, or eight and nine. Um, we had that semi there and we had parts for all the Cowie riders. We were helping anybody and everybody and, you know, between Chappie, myself, and whoever we hired as mechanics, they were there to help everybody, you know, and it was just, it's a different atmosphere for sure. And we, that's the only way I'd ever go racing. You know, I was very fortunate. I got to ride for Kawasaki Team Green 
right. the green portion of it for one season yep. on, on a Kawasaki 700. <laughs> yep. Joy, joy, right? Yeah, well, I, I still had one until last year. That's what I rode at Glamis was a 700. But I love, I love the thing. They're fun. They're a ton of fun. Well, I, I think that riding that for a season allowed me when I switched to the 450 to go faster because I could, uh, my corner speed went up. Right. right. You know, cause I didn't get out of the throttle when I rode that 700. If you got out of the throttle, you stopped. Right. <laughs> you know? So yeah, there were some benefits by it. It benefits from it. Right. Right. I really, I really enjoyed it. And, 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 and Reed and some of the other guys, I did get myself in hot water. <laughs> well, I shipped, I kept, I kept eating the, the gear in the housing of the rear end. Right. When you go to, when you, when you go to Lake Elsinore and run on that slick, hard packed, uh, dry lake bed, it would eat the gear. Hmm. Well, that's one of the places I had to practice. That was it. Right. And I was out practicing and ate the gear, put the spare they gave us in, and then ate that gear. And they only allowed me one rebuild. Oh, I, really? And I sent the second one to Georgia without an okay. Yeah. Oh, so you, had to, you guys couldn't rebuild them yourself. You had to send them to the factory. Yeah, because they didn't give us the tooling. And we didn't buy the tooling. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, uh, they rebuilt it for us, but they said, yeah, I don't think you should ever do that again. <laughs> Go and get okay first. Yeah. They're all a bunch of good guys. There's still a lot of good guys left down there. I mean, it's changed over the years, but I mean, shit, my boss when I was there is Bruce Sternstrom, and he's still the head guy of all racing down there. So some things stay the same, and there's a lot of good guys down there. Like I said, it's a – I don't know about the factory team now um, – it, it probably political. I'm sure it is. But back then it was all about family racing, racing family and having fun period. And I think for the most part, you know, and unless you get to the really high dollar guys in the supercross and the outdoor motocross, even with the ATV guys, it's, you know, there's no, none of us are making a lot of money at it. So why do we want to, why do we want to make it bigger than it is? Right. Right. I think one of the, one of the guys I enjoy spending the time with at the races is Bo Barron. Really? It's for a different engine guy. You know, we have a couple crossover sponsors, but for the most part, I, that guy's fun. Yeah. He's yeah. a lot of fun to sit and talk to. Yeah. 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 Whenever I've been in works races, I, because he's always used to be around the Hagsman guys and, and I'd hang around there and he was always around and yeah, he seems like a really good, cool guy down to earth, you know, yeah. what, what you need to be in, I think today's world for a champion, you need to be open, you need to be accessible and he doesn't care who you are or what you do. He'll sit and talk with you or help you. Yeah. Or do it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just the, the way I see it, you know, for right. however that is, um, mm -hmm. beings that we're talking like that, What's your overall perspective? I know the COVID thing has changed it a little bit, but your overall perspective of, of the ATV industry itself. Well, I, I see the numbers because I'm in the industry. Um, I still sell way more ATV tires than I do UTV tires. 
but that's because ATV ATVs have been out there forever and there's still a ton of them out there. Um, you know, UTV is start is bypassed ATV new sales now. Uh, but there's still, like I said, there's still a ton of ATVs out there, but I don't know. I think this UTV thing is just a game changer. You know, it was for me, you know, one, I'm older, so I don't really care if I go out on an ATV. That's why I sold my uh, V-Force, my 700, is, you know, I, I leave my grandkids around at the, I kept it, leave my kids around at the dunes, and then I'm like, now my grandkids, I shit, they're all good enough riders now that I, I can jump in my side-by-side -side and, and just go have way more fun with less effort. Um, but I think that's, the UTVs is a game changer for these ATVs, but as far as racing goes, Man, it's just, it's a tough market. It just seems to be getting tougher and tougher for sponsors and stuff. I mean, I know you're busy. I talked to Mark Baldwin the other day. He said he's never been busier either. Um, I'm sure Curtis is in the same boat, but um, ATV racing has well, been... We're not busy because of ATV racing. Oh, really? It's other stuff? We're busy because of and just engine building per se. Gotcha. Um, you know, yes, I would love, my passion is the racing. Right, right. Would I love to just have, you know, 20 or 30 race bikes in there and just do race motors and, and, and live off of it? But right. that's, not, that's not reality and that's not where we are. Right, for sure, for sure. That is the tough part. And that's where, you know, a lot of these guys have got uh, the, the top guys now, they have rich sponsors and cause they can't make it on the, they can't make it on the, their sponsors from the aftermarket people and stuff like that. Like we used to be able to shit. I mean, even back when I was racing in 80, 80, I think my best year making money was 86. I mean, my tire sponsor paid me 10 grand a year, you know, and I know Maxis and those guys paid goofier money in that in their prime lately because I had the, when I had the Cowie ATV four wheel team, um, ITP paid us a lot of money to sponsor the team, but those days are gone, man. It's just, uh, everybody's cutting back and I, I don't understand how the hell, you know, uh, Hetrick without the money man that he's got or, uh, Ween and without, you know, Yamaha's cutting his help is what I hear every year more and more. Um, but he's, he's obviously got some money guys that's helping him because you can't make it on the purse. We all know that. Well, no, cause you win a works race, you get 700 bucks. Right. Right. You yeah. Know, I went to Dakar in, in 09 and we got on the podium and the guy that took me over there as mechanic, as my, as his mechanic, he says, Hey, I'll give you the purse money. I'm like, all right. How much was it? 400 bucks. For the Dakar. Yep. And what place he get? Third. Holy shit. You know how much money he spent? Oh, I can only imagine probably 30 grand, 40 grand. You're not even in the world. Really? $385,000. Oh, my good God. That makes zero sense. Other than passion. And if you got the money, then whatever, I guess. Dude, it, it was unreal money that was spent. Yeah. But, you know, his budget is, is less now because he's right. gotten smarter and he owns his own truck and, but he still does. His name's Raphael Sonic. Cause you know, he's won the, the Dakar. He's won the FIM cross country world title. Jesus, nine times or something like that. Wow. He's 53. He should retire. Right. He right. still loves it. 
still and he's still competitive in it. So why not keep doing it? Why not? Why not? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't. I, you know, the state of racing. I don't. I struggle with that. I did as soon as uh, Cowie pulled out twice on me, once on me personally in 86. And then again with the race team in 2009, um, racing is just tough for ATVs shit. And you know, it's just, uh, I don't, I don't see it ever getting better. I can guarantee you that if it does, I, it, it's going to be a whole different ball game because I don't see them spending the kind of money they spent when, you know, we were running the team this last time for sure. Well, you know how much it takes to build one of those machines to the right. level you need to do it to, to be competitive. Right. Yep. Average Joe can't do that. Right. You know, and even, even you go race a works race and you're going to ride against Bo and Mike, you better have some eggs in your basket because those guys are coming and they got, and they got HP and they got, they have, they have learned their craft and they're good. And and, yep. the bikes, and the bikes ain't cheap, you know. But then again, you like you asked, the overall for ATV is just a tough market anymore with these side by sides. I mean, it's just easy for me and my wife to go jump on either in one or go on our side by side. She can go enjoy it with me. Um, she's always had an ATV. She even had three wheelers back when I had three wheelers. Um, but it's just way easier now and more of a family type deal that you can use it for multi-use instead of just going out. Yeah. Uh, I see that too. You know, I can see me and my wife getting into it. Who's not at all into the off-roading portion of our lives. I mean, last year she went to her first ATV race ever. Yeah. You know, I mean, she couldn't believe, you know, it's seven o'clock in the evening and we're in Havasu and I'm still working on bikes. And she's like, <laughs> Um, we got here at six. Are we going to the hotel anytime soon? Exactly. <laughs> no, uh, honey, I still got work to do. Sorry. <laughs> That's why I brought you so you could see what goes on, you know? Yeah. See that I'm not out playing at the bars or doing anything like that. I'm working yeah. my butt off. And this is only Friday night. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We haven't even got to the hard day yet. <laughs> so um, if you, if you looked at the UTV market, and this is kind of a perspective that Lauren and I have looked at. And it, it's hard to be an independent in, the, in that world because so much of the initial buy is done through the dealer. Right. Because you can finance it. You can finance it, the roll cage, the radios, the tires, and everything. And you can roll it out into your garage for 30 or 40 grand or whatever ridiculous price they are. And you don't need us. There's a lot of truth to that. And players, you know, in Can-Am have been buying up a lot of the small uh, aftermarket guys um, for not just for all that, for seats and for roll cages and for tires and wheels and everything else. And they push that on their dealers. That's smart of them. But I can tell you uh, the line that I develop and sell to Parts Unlimited is called AMS. It's their brand. We're killing it. I mean, absolutely killing it. Uh, we've got dealers buying 200 tires at a time and it's mainly UTV stuff. ATV still back East, um, for the, like a 25, eight, 12, 25, 10, 12, it'll be years before that is no longer the number one selling tire for volume. It'll be years because that thing still outsells every month. 
those two sizes. But as far as dollar volume, the UTV, because they're bigger, they're truck tires, shit. I mean, my, right. you know, I got 3215s now that we're selling and developing more and more all the time. You got the weight down on the tire at all? Um, so I don't go after the race market. I go after the durability market. So I've got a tire that's called the M1 Evil. That's our number one selling. And we've got like 10 different tire sizes all the way from a 25, 8, 12, all the way up to the 32, 15. And, um, they're heavy, but they'll last 5,000 miles and you're not gonna, you're not gonna have to um, if you're out in the woods, you're not going to have to patch them like you do the some of the other competition that's real thin and lightweight. That's smart. That's a good business plan. Well, it, it's the way we went with our first lineup. We're working on other product right now out of Thailand that's going to be a little bit lower weight and uh, to kind of compete against that. But I, I don't care to get in the race market. I mean, shit, those guys are having to pay and give away product. and. Uh, I don't see where that's going to benefit anybody at this point. Speaking of sponsors, I've never understood sponsorship to a point. Um, I was always under the influence from my dad that when you sponsor somebody, they're work for you because you're paying them basically because you're taking product or money out of your pocket and putting it in theirs. And unless unless they're turning revenue for you, bringing you walking in customers, there's no reason to sponsor that person, even if they're the 10 time national champion. There's, there's some truth to that. I mean, it's double edged sword. Um, if you want to get your name, it's all about marketing. I mean, it's just about brand recognition and everything else. That's why Maxis has done such a good job with tires. Uh, one, they make, they make great tires, period. Um, two, they've done a great job marketing. But their shit ain't cheap, man. They you have to you have to dole out some money if you're going to be buying it, and so you end up that you end up paying for it, buying those things for the the sponsored guys, basically. Well, yeah, they got to make up for it somewhere, right? That's I, I, a hard pill for me to swallow. I understand that they work great, and I have learned the hard way that that was the tire to use in certain environments and right. riders that I hooked up with. Uh, to win some some best in the desert titles, you know, kind of led me by the hand and said, I'm sorry, but we'll go test and I'll show you the difference in the machine, tire versus tire. And, you know, I ended up having to concede to them that, yeah, we'll run, even though I won with the other brand, right. I had to go with what they wanted because it was faster. I mean, it really was faster. And uh, it, I still, I still struggle on swallowing that pill, but, you know, it is what it is. I like, I almost like the cheaper tire, you know, I mean, I don't want to say anything bad about a specific brand, but the ITP STI are similar tires. I really like the float of that tire because it, it it doesn't force you to be stick. The bike is kind of a, uh, kind of like on ice. It's always a little darty. And I like that feel. So, Yeah, the STI, the Tech Four was one of my, is one of my designs, and I'm the one that was selling that the STI. But now you can get it through Parts Unlimited now that STI or MTAs went out of business. But that thing will be back under called a Moose Rattler. It'll be under the Moose brand. But um, that tire's always worked really well. And getting back to you know the sponsorship and all that, 
I've always had to use, um, because I was with Kenda for so long, also, I've always had to use Maxxis as my benchmark. I would, I would buy their tires, and I would try to design and develop different, but I would try, that would be my benchmark if it came to anything as far as performance or, you know, I didn't really get into the racing aspect of it, but, or the performance side of it. You like the, uh, so you, you like the recreational side. Do you offer a, a, a sand tire for the UTV or the ATV as well? Yep. Both, both we have for years. Um, and we build other people's product and we build casings for scat track. Um, so we, we've got a little bit of everything going with that. Our ATV TV tire lineup, we've got everything, including a steel belted radial um, offering. So, And you make motorcycle tires as well, right? Just dirt bike. Just dirt bike. We don't get into the street or anything DOT like that. The liability is way too much. Oh, yeah, liability today for everything. You walk out your front door, be careful. Yep, yep. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't know how we're all going to do it, you know, in the racing side of it. Uh, Lauren and I are believing that it's probably going to go restoration um, more so like it is now. They're shipping machines into us from all over the country uh, to have us do what we do and it, it, it's, 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 believe it or not, it's a hard way to earn a living because most people don't realize what it really takes to take them to the frame and make them beautiful. Right. Right. Oh, believe me. I know I'm doing my KX 500 right now. And now that it's 110 degrees out, I, it's just been sitting there all summer long and I need to get the damn thing back together for glamis. I did. You're going to look at it. What's that? You're going to ride it or look at it. Oh, right. At glamis. It's nice. a great Glamis bike, yeah. Yeah, kind of like the CR500. Yeah. Put it in yeah. third gear and hold on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I plan on riding it. I hope the bastard doesn't ride me. <laughs> that, does, that does happen now and again, right? And if it does, it'll get sold next. <laughs> Come on now. You're not that old, are you? <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's fun. They're fun bikes. Not, not to get too personal, but how old are you? I turned 60 this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was, oh, I, you're not <laughs> old, man. I, I'm only, I, I'm only six years behind you. Yeah. Cause I was, I was rolling into the racing scene when you had already, uh, you'd have basically already left. I had seen you at the races. Right. Because I had got to do a little bit of stuff. This is before we were even on the map. So, I mean, I looked up to all you guys and, and just, you know, big eyed kids standing there. Wow. This is awesome. And they were fun times. They were fun times that I, I would have never guessed it would have took me where it took me. That's for damn sure. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably be back still doing sodding in Iowa with my, now my brothers, now that my dad's gone, but, uh, yeah, it's took me places that I couldn't even imagine and have enjoyed the hell out of it, every bit of it. That's awesome. I got a memory for you. Do you remember Washougal in 86? I never... Washougal? No, you're talking... Uh, um, Not Washougal. Um, Thurston County Fairgrounds. No. Um, why can't I think of the name of it? But we've raced there 
uh, five or six times in, in Olympia, Washington. Olympia, Washington. Thurston County Fairgrounds, I'm pretty sure is what it is. Oh, I remember it quite well. You remember getting sent to the back? I, I remember everything about that damn race. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, they had a stupid starting gate that dropped forward and I jumped it. And so they red flagged it. So they made me start backwards. Yep. And the uh, 32nd or 15 second board comes out. I'm starting backwards. I'm looking over my shoulder. I take off. I hit the gate running, got the whole shot, and I was supposed to be starting backwards. So they red flag it again. And the last time, uh, Roy Jansen, who was ahead head AMA, stood in front of me. I started backwards a third time, too. I started backwards, and Roy Jansen stood there until the gate dropped, and then he moved where I could take off. Yeah. I was standing at the end of the starting gate watching that. I have, I have some really good stories about starting gates and about Honda and about other shit like that, but uh, we could be here all night for those because that one, that one was a tough pill to swallow. Um, Cause I don't, I don't remember reading anywhere in the, in the um, rule book that I couldn't get a running start at that. Uh, you know, it was before they had where you had to start right up against the gate and it was before, you know, it didn't say that you, I didn't touch a gate. I did wheeling and was over the top of it before the damn thing dropped and was gone. But there's many stories like that. Roy Jansen and I and Wes McCoy had many, many battles. Yeah. I, I, uh, I was very fortunate when I, when Sean Reddish took over works, Doug and I were in our basic heyday yep, yep. meeting there and, and we sure twisted some knots in that rule book. You got it. I mean, it's, I wasn't cheating. I never cheated, but I was pushing the envelope everywhere I went. Um, and one of the races in Colorado, it must've been 85. Um, they had a long ass start straight away and my bike blew up in the heat race. So I had to run the LCQ. Um, and Donnie loose qualified decent. And so Donnie pulls into his starting spot. And I had the last gate pick because I won the LCQ. And when I pull into the starting area, nothing in the rule book said we couldn't do this. Donnie backed up. I pulled into his starting spot because Mike and I, Co and I, and uh, um, Marty were all running for the championship and it was getting tight. At that point, I think I was leading the championship, whatever it was. It was so freaking long ago. So I pulled into his spot. And Donnie went all the way to the outside. Well, Wes McCoy throws a hissy and he comes down and he says, Hey, this can't happen. You know, he gets uh, Jansen involved. And so they made up a rule, which was typical back then is backed everybody off there. And they said, Hey, if you pick your starting gate, if you pull out of your starting gate, you don't get, nobody starts there. So that was the new rule of the day. So we line up another time and I'm all the way to the outside. And again, from the shittiest spot ever, I got a running start at it, got the whole shot out there, turned around, flipped everybody off and got the whole shot. And then somebody crashed in the first corner. And so we had to do a restart. And so we had to start the same spot and I got the whole shot again, all the way from the outside and flipped everybody off and Went on to almost win. Co and I talked about this. He passed me either the last lap or the second to the last lap. 
this track was like Baja, man. It was fifth gear tap the whole way. But, and I wasn't ever a fan of the real fast shit. That's why I never did desert. And Co was just pinning it. And, you know, Mike was I mean, talented. Yeah, he's very talented guy. Yep. I, I got to spend some time with him a couple of weeks ago and um, my pops came in and sat down and, and they started talking about the old days and I got yeah. some of that on tape. So it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, Mike, Mike and I kind of re hit it off again in 2000 at that legends deal in Ashtabula. And then this last year at Ashtabula and we talk quite often now. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I get, I, I talked to him. He's trying to buy a part, a part for me that I can't get from Chrome because of the COVID. Oh, really? Yeah, Chrome shot shut down. I'm just like, oh, this is horrible. You know, <laughs> he's been trying to get a part from me for like three months. Oh, wow. That happens. Yeah, it, it's, I, I love to hear the old stories. And, and uh, you know, I cringe at the, polit- uh, the political portion when you hear about it because it's still alive today. You know, oh, I'm sure. It, 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 for a long time, I haven't had to deal with it, but it's still there, and I don't. Uh, I don't think going back to the Nationals would make it any better because I'm sure Petrick and Weenan have their moments. Oh yeah, yeah. Because they're the only two guys that can. I mean, they're running one two all the time, right? And you know, third through ninth is is a is a crapshoot of who's going to be there, but. Um, they're still third through ninth. Right. You know, yeah. Yeah. It's horrible to say that, but you know, it, it is what it is, but uh, it's been a real pleasure spending some time with you. And uh, I'd like to have the open invitation if I could with you to get you to come back and maybe tell some other stories and, and uh, maybe get into some of those, those issues that, uh, that, that you like to keep secret. Anytime, anytime. And yeah, and I'd, I'd be better prepared and with some, with some better stories and not talk about business and stuff like that. But uh, there's some good ones out there. Let's, let's definitely hook uh, back up you get Mike and some other people on here too. Just getting to talk with you is, is a pleasure, you know, because you're one of the guys that I always looked up to, you know, I mean, you're, you're the, you're one of the starting blocks for me in the industry, even though I got to, be around my dad when we were racing the 9110s, you know, at Speedway 117. Right, right. Yeah, very cool. Well, thank you, sir. No, thank you, and and I appreciate that. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.